0: Our parable from this morning comes from Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Others' seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprung up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord.
1: It's good to see you this time last week. I was driving a car back from Missouri filled with diapers that smelled like baby wipes. So we had uh, our baby showers back home with our family, and uh, we even drove home a life-size stuffed tiger in the backseat. <laughs> Go Mizzou. This, uh, this week we're starting a new sermon series. It's a sermon series that's going to take us up through, all the way through the fall season and lead us up to Advent. Advent. And we're, The series is called The Parables of Jesus. And Jesus preached mostly in parables. And in fact, later in a few chapters, it says that Jesus never spoke. From a certain point on, he never spoke without also speaking a parable. But what exactly is a parable? We don't really use that word very often. Well, the parable is really quite simple. It essentially comes from the Hebrew word mashal, a short story that carries wisdom and insight. It's a short story that invites you to ponder and reflect and think deeper, perhaps than you normally do about your own life. You're invited to step into the story to understand your own story. Think of it this way. I think of whenever Nathan, the prophet, confronts David. He doesn't say, hey, you're a sinner. He comes to him and he tells him a story. And David is enraged by this story that he tells him and he says, where is this man who has wronged his brother? I will kill him. And Nathan said, well, you were the man. You were the man. There's a way of telling a story that digs deep into your heart in a way that just telling you the facts cannot. And this is why Jesus preaches in parables. He doesn't give hard, definitive answers. He preaches in a way because He wants us to understand our disposition towards the kingdom of God. You either embrace it or you reject it, one or the other somebody asks you the question, will you marry me? One of two answers, yes or no. You don't sort of marry somebody. You either do or you don't. There's only one way, there's only two ways to go. It's embracing or rejecting, and this is the position that parables put us in. And it's actually the purpose of the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Because the parable of the sower is the first recorded parable in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that record the parables. But it's a particularly special parable, follow me here, is because it's a parable about Jesus' teaching and parables. Okay? It's a parable about Jesus' teaching and parables. The parable of the sower is about how people will react to Jesus and his teaching about the kingdom of God through parables. Which actually means that if we're looking at the parable of the sower today, If you think about it, it's a parable for how each of us will respond to the rest of this sermon series as we look at each of his parables and his teaching. Before we actually look at the parable of the sower in depth and look at these four responses to Jesus' teaching, we need to ask another question. I think it's helpful to ask the question, why did Jesus use parables in the first place? Why parables? Why teach in such a mysterious way? You can read him, and you're like, sometimes you scratch your head and you're like, what is he talking about? You have to ask, does Jesus not want people to understand his teaching? And that's the very question the disciples ask in verse 10 of our passage today. They come to him and they say, Jesus, why parables? Why do you speak in this way? I think to find the answer, we need to understand something about the nature of the kingdom of God. Because when Jesus would teach, he most often would say, the kingdom of God is like and then he'd give a parable. The kingdom of God is like, and then he'd give a parable. There's something about the relationship between parables and the kingdom of God that we need to understand. We most importantly need to understand the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus talked about more than anything else. And in Mark chapter 1, it's the first thing on his lips when he comes preaching the gospel. The first words from Jesus in the earliest written gospel is this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. And believe in the gospel. The kingdom has arrived. And it's time to repent because the king has arrived. The king has brought his kingdom with him. But it doesn't have a lot of fanfare. Jesus doesn't come and do a Matt Lauer interview and an ESPN special and say that he's going to take his talents to Galilee and Jerusalem. He doesn't do an ad campaign talking about his candidacy for the king of the universe. He doesn't take out a billboard He comes and he offers repentance. He announces his kingdom by giving people an opportunity to turn from the things of this world and come and learn about the kingdom that is not of this world. And if the kingdom of God is anything like its king, then we can expect it to reveal itself very quietly. Because the kingdom of God does not come loudly. The kingdom of God reveals itself and moves and comes in by stealth. You can't pick it up by radar. I'm from a small town called Sedalia, and there's nothing particularly special about Sedalia in mid-Missouri, but it is actually just outside of uh, an Air Force base called Whiteman. The thing that makes Whiteman special is that this is the Air Force base where they house the fleet of B-2 stealth bombers. And I remember growing up, and the stealths would fly all over the place. And it's amazing to think that this thing cannot be seen by radar. You can't find it. It can be flying right over you, and you never know it. And I remember one time, well, when it flies over, over and over again in your house, they would do their practices and, and all their, you know, their dogfighting. They would practice dogfighting over my house, so it literally sounded like a war zone at times. You could tell the difference between an A-10 Thunderbolt and an F-16 in the Stealth. Each of them had their own unique sound. And one time I was walking up to a football game at Mizzou. Uh, tons of people walking up to the stadium during the day. And you could hear the national anthem going off and, as people were making their way up there. And there's just crowds of people lining the sidewalks making their way. And I remember looking up and I saw the Stealth coming. I was going to do a flyover right at the end of the national anthem. And as it was coming, I remember just watching it as everybody was moving forward. And then it comes and it goes by. It's really flying low. If you have ever heard the stealth bomber fly right by you, it is unbelievably deafening. It is unbelievably loud. But by the time you hear it, it's already passed. As we were walking by, I remember it flew by. And then right as I turn around, the sound of this unbelievable engine hits you like a wall, like a brick. And it hits, and everybody, literally, as they're walking, ducks. (laughs) They duck, and they don't even see what flew by. But the people that didn't duck were the ones that saw it coming and watched it go by. And the thing is, my point is that the kingdom of God is the same way. You can't find it by radar. Sometimes when you hear it, it's already passed. And the only way you can actually find it is if you're actually looking for it. The only way you can find the kingdom is if you're looking for it. It passes you by quietly, just like the king does. Think about it. How did Jesus come into this world? Well, he came quietly quietly. He passed by an innkeeper that turned away a young, expecting couple and pointed them to a stable instead. Or priests and rabbis in a synagogue who listened to a curious young boy talk about the law and God with such insight. Maybe an elderly couple that asked a carpenter from Nazareth to come fix a leaky roof, to come build them a table or a chair. Think of all the ways the king and creator of the universe passed all of these people by, and they never, ever knew it. They missed it. The kingdom of God comes into this world very quietly because the king came in quietly. And the only way you will find it is if you're actually looking for it. So when Jesus begins his ministry, he brings the kingdom of God into the world quietly through parables. He brings them in quietly through parables because each parable... Is an opportunity to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. This parable is a chance to search for truth that has been a mystery since the foundation of the world. But the truth is, some search and some do not. Those who search will learn the secrets of the kingdom. There's over a hundred verses. There's eighty-three, well, just under, there's eighty-three that talk all the time. Search, search, seek, and you will find. Search for me, and I will reveal myself to you. And those who search for life will find it. But the parables have the other side, is that those who don't search, the secrets of the kingdom will remain hidden, and the way will be shut, and it will pass them by. The point of Jesus' preaching in parables, ultimately, is that parables both reveal and conceal the kingdom of God and its secrets at the exact same time. I don't know what I mean by that. It's a little bit to think about. Well, Let's look at Jesus' answer in verses 11 through 17 when he responds to his disciples' question. They come to him and they ask, Jesus, tell us about these parables. Why do you speak in parables? And Jesus answers them by saying, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. I speak to them in parables because they think they see, even though they don't. They think they hear, even though they don't. And they never will understand. And then in verses 14 and 15, he quotes a passage from Isaiah 6. It's that famous passage where Isaiah is brought up into the throne room of God, and God asks, who will go for us to my people? And Isaiah says, hey, here I am. Send me. I will go. And what does God say? He says, go and tell the people that they can't hear, they can't see. They think they know me, but they don't. And he says, I offer them the opportunity to understand their sickness and brokenness and be healed. But Isaiah, the more you go and tell them the truth, the worse they will become. And you will make their hearts dull. And a better translation of that is Isaiah, when you preach, you will make their hearts fat. You'll make their hearts fat. And that's a powerful image. God's basically telling Isaiah that when you go and tell them that they don't understand and they don't get it, it'll make them worse. And they stiffen their necks, they dig in, and they say, Oh, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. And the disposition of their heart is to pretend like everything is okay and they don't actually need to be healed of anything. When they're given their opportunity to turn to God so that He could heal them, they don't need a healer. And when they're given the opportunity to see themselves as they truly are and run after God, the truth is they can't because their hearts are so fat and sluggish and immobile. And Jesus uses this passage in Isaiah to express that the reason his parables conceal the secrets of the kingdom for so many is not because he's being mean and playing a game of theological keep-away It's because the parables reinforce their own stubbornness to ignore the truth. It reveals their own stubbornness to hide from the truth. Jesus preaches in parables because it brings judgment on those who would prefer ignorance to enlightenment. It shows how when they have the opportunity to wake up and see the truth, they prefer to stay asleep. Instead of allowing Jesus to show them who they really are, Their sluggish hearts settle in their ways and the kingdom of God passes them by because in the end they're not looking for it and they don't know it when it comes. And in verses 18 through 23, Jesus explains the parable of the sower to his disciples. He's describing this phenomenon, this sluggish rejection and obstinance towards what God has to reveal by describing the first three soils. Remember, the parable of the sower is a parable about how these people will respond to Jesus preaching in parables. And in these first three soils, we see that this sluggishness of heart takes on different forms, takes on different responses. The challenge for us as we look closer is to remember that Jesus is using this passage because he's talking about people that claim to know God and claim to know the truth, which would include us. He's not talking about atheists out there somewhere or people of other religions. He's talking about us and asking, do you know the truth? And we're not examining it so that you can just cognitively be aware of the four types of soil. That way you just pass a pop quiz if you're ever asked what the parable of the sower is about. It's not just knowing what the four soils mean. You're invited to search your own life and search for the truth inside this parable. Not just the soil of your heart today, or you good soil today, or hard soil today. That's not what the point of the passage is. It's actually what soil has made up your whole career of faith and belief in following Jesus up to this point. That's what's being asked of you today. And as we take a closer look at this parable when Jesus explains it, you're actually on sacred ground. The times when we actually see Jesus explain his own teaching is precious for you. And when you read Jesus explain what his parable means to the disciples, you are ushered back 2,000 years ago to a conversation that you never even knew happened. Unless you happen across this book, you're invited into that precious conversation where Jesus explains the secrets of the kingdom. So it's not a time to think about what type of soil your spouse is or what type of soil others are. If you have ears to hear, you will ask the question, what's the soil that fills my heart? Hear then the parable of the sower. Jesus explains the first response to his teaching as being the seed that falls on the hard path, but the devil comes immediately and snatches it away. I think this is the most abstract of the three soils to understand because we don't generally talk about spiritual warfare very often, but Jesus does. And so he says that the devil comes and snatches it away. That's kind of hard to understand, but I think John 8 gives us a picture of what that actually looks like. When the Pharisees express their confidence that they're children of Abraham and so certain in their disposition and place in God's family, Jesus says, no, you're sons of your father, Satan, and you are his people. You use the law to bolster yourself. You use the law to make yourself great. You use the law to punish others and beat them down. And you're nothing but a bully. You're just like your father, the devil. So the one who is like the hard path is far more influenced by Satan than he is Jesus. Because they're blinded by their pride. Which means that they think they're healthy when they're incredibly sick. What's that person look like? Well... It's like a person that has a million Bible verses memorized and read all the right books, but the one thing you will never, ever hear them talk about is any ways that their life is actually broken. They'll never talk about ways that they need a healer. you will never hear them talk about brokenness, and the people closest to them will never really have ever heard them utter an apology to anyone. And in their pride, they believe knowing facts about the Savior is the same as knowing the Savior. And the kingdom of God passes them by, passes by their sluggish heart, because to search for the kingdom and find it requires humility. To those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus explains the second soil is the rocky soil that can't grow roots, so when suffering comes along, it withers and fades away. I'm sure you've known somebody, and you can think of somebody in your life who at one point was extremely passionate about their faith, just excited, reading all the books, and they couldn't get enough of Jesus. But all it took was one difficult time that happened in their life, and they fell away, and they blamed God for all of it. And their life is filled with questions like, how could God allow this to happen? How could a good God do this? And actually, those are great questions. The problem is, they stop searching for the answer. They stop searching for the deeper secrets of the kingdom. They're not like Job that continues to knock on heaven's door, repeatedly asking for the truth to be revealed to him. Because instead, it's easier to numb the pain and sorrow that this world creates with secret addictions or overworking or isolation from others. For this type of soil, the kingdom of God passes by their sluggish heart. And they will never know how God can take pain and turn it into something precious. Because to search for the kingdom of God and find it in a fractured world means that you have to learn to trust Him with the good and the bad. Because you will never learn to trust God until you go through a hard time. To those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus explains that the third soil contained thorns so that when the seed grows, the weeds choked it and it ultimately bore no fruit. The last soil couldn't follow God when things went bad. But this soil, on the flip side, this soil can't pursue God when things go well. They stop. When things are going well, they actually feed their greed. They fall into the trap of the deceitfulness of riches and all the opportunities their wealth can afford. And the weeds that choke the life out of you is nothing more than materialism and worldly concerns. And maybe you feel that way in your own life. Materialism has made your home a house full of weeds that choke the life out of you and your marriage. And maybe it's your job or social circle that draws your attention. But either way, this soil produces or pursues greatness in this world and not the world to come. And the kingdom of God passes by this sluggish heart because to search and find the kingdom requires the faith that what Jesus offered is far better than the weeds of this world that will pass away. To those that have ears, let them hear. And the parable of the sower shows us that while parables reveal the secrets of the kingdom, they also reveal our secrets. They reveal the secrets of our hearts. It's in the parables that we're challenged to face up to what our heart wants most puts to a challenge. Which means to truly understand the kingdom means we also have to truly understand ourselves. And we have to be willing to understand the answers that Jesus has for us. What's the soil that makes up your heart? But there's a fourth soil, and it's good soil. It's wonderful, beautiful soil. And when the seed is planted in the good soil, it grows and it bears fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. What does that actually look like? Well, if you look at Jesus' words to his disciples in verses 16 to 17, he tells them that blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Now, let's remember that these are the disciples that we're talking about. They don't always get it. They make mistakes. They don't have it all together. And up to this point, there's nothing extraordinary or exemplary about them and why Jesus called them. But what makes them different is that when Jesus calls them to follow him, they become his disciples and they follow him. But what following actually looks like is something as simple as we see in verse 10. They bring Jesus their questions and they want to know more. They don't walk away with everybody else. When everybody else walks away, when Jesus is done teaching, they move closer and ask him more. Tell us more. Tell us more. Tell us more. And Jesus responds to them and says, Blessed are you. And the disciples remember Jesus' teaching at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, just a couple chapters before, where Jesus ends it by saying, Ask, knock, and seek the kingdom of heaven, and it will be open to you. And so they're asking, they're knocking, and they're seeking. And if you look at it, what differentiates the good soil from all the rest of the soil is how the good soil understands the Word of God. Because I think the good soil understands something differently. The Word of God isn't an abstract principle or a worldview to argue with atheists and Hindus or something. It's not a set of laws or a list of good things that you should do to feel better about yourself. The good soil recognizes that the Word of God is a person. The Word of God is ultimately embodied in Jesus And Jesus' teaching points to him because he is telling everyone that will listen that he is the gift that God has given to the world. The good soil understands that God the Father is actually the sower. God is the one who scattered Jesus onto all the soils of this world. The Father wants to plant Jesus deep into the hearts of those who would receive him and to have his life fill the earth What have you sought? Have you sought more conforming to laws? Is that what God's word is about? Or is it about learning to treasure Jesus to make him your joy and your delight? The good soil, even though you don't understand everything Jesus says, is just like the disciples say in John 6 when Jesus had just given a hard teaching and everybody else walks away. And Jesus goes and turns to his disciples and he says, Are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, Lord, where else do we have to go? You have the words of life. I know you have so much more to say. And we do not want the kingdom to pass us by. As we close, we need to ask the question what does it look like to be good soil? What does it look like to have Jesus grow roots in our hearts? to experience fruit hundred, sixty, and thirty-fold? Well, think about the parable. Think about Jesus as the seed that wants to grow. Think about Jesus as a seed. And the other three soils, what they have in common is the fact that they don't actually give the seed what it needs to flourish in their life. When I was a little boy, I remember eating an apple in my garage, and at the very end of it, I had the rind I was like, hey, I'm going to plant an apple tree. So I took out a seed, walked out of the front yard, and I just tossed it out there. I remember the next day I was so excited because I was like, oh, it's just going to blow up, you know, John, you know the jack and the beanstalk. But it didn't. I came out, didn't see anything. And the next day I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe it just takes, maybe it's a late bloomer. Came out the next day and the next day, and it never grew. And every now and then I will actually still drive by my old house and think about that little seed that planted that never actually grew. How often do we do the same exact thing? We childishly think that we can casually treat the Word of God. We can just toss it out there and think that it will somehow magically grow up to be strong in our lives. We give Jesus a bit of our spare time for prayer if we can find it. We give Him a bit of our spare change when we have a good month. We feel satisfied when we hear a convicting sermon or read a challenging book, but... In the end, our lives don't change. And if so, then it should be no surprise at all when no new life grows and there's no fruit. Our messy marriages stay the exact same. We're just as content as anybody else that we'd find on the street. We're still plagued with guilt, shame, and anxiety, and our addictions choke us. In the end, there's something about our walk that just feels sluggish. Because the soil of our hearts doesn't treasure Him and we don't give Him what He wants to flourish. We starve Him. But the good soil does give Him what He wants. The good soil treats Jesus as precious the way a farmer would treat his crops, as though life actually depended upon it. Because it does. The heart with good soil, Jesus wants to sink His roots deep. Into your heart. So let me just ask you this question Are you actually watering Jesus? Are you tending to him? Are you caring for him? Do you give him what he wants to grow? Because the good soil waters their relationship with Jesus, with their time to sit and pray and seek his face. The good soil pulls the weeds by giving their money instead of keeping it. The good soil protects the life that is in the soil of their heart at all costs because it knows how easily it's deceived. It knows how easily it's distracted and pulled away. The good soil protects the treasure that they have because they don't want the kingdom to pass them by. But there's one more thing that I think is actually ironic about the way... uh, Fruit, the most fruit happens if you want to see fruit. I was sitting with my father-in-law last weekend, and we were sitting outside, and he has a shop. He's a mechanic, has a shop off of his house, and here's his house. you are separate. And we're talking about when they first bought the house, it was a horse training uh, farm. And uh, now he's just got cattle there. But when they first bought the house, his shop, which is a big shop, was actually filled with manure. That's where they used to store all the Manure. And so he slowly cleaned it out, but the way he cleaned it out is he slowly took it and he put it on his garden. And it took him three years to get all, take all that manure and spread it out each year over the garden. And he said, you know, he just chuckled and he said, those were the best three years of harvest that I have ever had. Hear me. Jesus wants you to bring him the most filthy, disgusting, and foul portions of your life. He wants to heal it. Your private addictions, your fears, your contempt, all of it. The stuff you don't even know is there. Your failing marriage, your materialism. Jesus says, bring me all the manure of your life, and I will take it and turn it into fruit. I'll take death and I'll bring life. Why? Because if you will turn to me, I will heal you. And what does that fruit look like? Well, it means that you don't destroy your relationships with your pride. It means you actually learn to heal them with humility. You don't fall apart when things go bad because the roots go so deep in your heart that you can withstand trial and tribulation and suffering. And those winds and those waves will not break you because Jesus' life is deep in your heart. And it has grown into fruit. It means that you aren't constantly chasing the treasures of this world because you found a far greater treasure than money can buy. And it means he turns a loveless marriage into an intimate one. It means he takes someone who's old and thinks they're stuck in their ways and makes them feel as though they're a brand new Christian again. He turns an angry heart into a compassionate one. He turns an anxious heart into one that finds peace. The list goes on and on and on. But here's the thing you'll never actually know that he's a healer until you actually bring him what you need to be healed from. And it's concealed to those who do not understand their sickness. And today, if you find yourself struggling with that, what type of soil you are, what type of soil has filled your heart, you don't like maybe what the Spirit has pricked in your heart, remember what Jesus said at the very beginning. He said, the kingdom is here, and you will find it through Repentance. The kingdom comes into this world simply and it enters into your life very simply. Because we, we search and find the kingdom through the quietness of repentance. Repentance is where we confess that we've watered the seeds of our pride, of our anger, our fear, our laziness, our materialism, our position-seeking, That's where we turn to Jesus over and over and over and over and over again and say, heal me so that I might know the secrets of your kingdom. I want to search for you with my whole heart. And I want to give you all that I am, including the foul and disgusting and broken parts. Please don't let the kingdom pass me by. Because (laughs) today it passes before you. And there's a day coming when the kingdom of God will no longer come quietly. Jesus will return and he will bring the fullness of his kingdom and he will be followed by the armies of heaven. And he will come to claim what's his. And this time it's not quiet. It actually will be a deafening sound. He'll come by the deafening trumpet sound and the sluggish ones, the sluggish hearts will duck and try to hide but they won't be able to. But for those who have been searching for the kingdom on that day, you will receive it with joy. Receive it today with joy. To those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Jesus, your teaching is very hard. we confess our sluggishness we confess that we make such bold claims in embracing your truth and yet we withhold so much of ourselves from you father would you make the soil of our heart the good soil would you teach us what it means to water you and to give you and to cherish and nurture and tend to you in our hearts May we respond to what you have done for us in your life and death and resurrection with our own life. Jesus, we want to be a church that tastes the fruit of your kingdom. Help us to understand that we have far too long been satisfied with the rotten fruit of this world. Father, we know that you are patient and that such fruit takes time. Help us to spend that time seeking you, seeking your kingdom. Because we know that when you return, you will bring joy for those who long to know you. And that joy will be unspeakable and it will be eternal. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.